0: What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. It is Friday and you know what that means. We have another conversation with someone in the content space that matters. And I got Ryan Gibson, who's the founder at Content Lift, on the pod today. And the topic is how customer investigations can transform your marketing strategy. A lot of good nuggets here. He is a journalist. He has a mindset when it comes to approaching the market. I pulled a ton of information out from him. And I'm using that in the work that I'm currently doing. If you like what we're doing over here, hit the subscribe button. Tell a friend you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. Got another exciting conversation. I am joined by Ryan Gibson, who's the founder of Content Lift. The topic today that we'll be unpacking is how customer investigations can transform your marketing strategy. We've been on this path of talking about questions on the show, and I met Ryan and this is kind of his subject matter expertise. So before we dive into the topic, we were just talking about uh, geos we were at and the
1: weather, but uh, Ryan, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for chatting with me today, Brad. I appreciate it.
0: So before we jump into the topic, I was doing a little investigation of my own and uh, was stumbling across uh, your LinkedIn profile. And I was just trying to like learn more a little bit about content lift. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that you you have is like a des, uh, descriptor that kind of stood out to me is uh, you say, we find hidden reasons people are buying your products. And I would imagine we're going to like dive into that through this exploration of uh, customer investigations, but maybe before we begin, like comment on that and share with the audience a little bit about
1: content lift and what you're doing. Yeah. So it makes it sound like there's this like nefarious intent, but I mean, like, I think the way to sort of contextualize that is we're often marketers often aren't part or often don't see the whole buying process, right? And we're sort of stuck behind dashboards and maybe recorded sales calls, which are fine. Like those are good sources of information, but that's not telling the entire story of how someone even came to you or why a business wanted to solve a problem in the first place. So that's, and, you know, I, we'll talk about this because I do this work where we'll find pieces of a buying journey or areas where they're, go to, they're going to learn about how to solve problems that you didn't know about right? You just, it's almost impossible now to know about everything. So that's what I do with content left is I, I use qualitative customer research interviews to go out and sort of understand every action a person took before they got to a sales conversation, or they decide to install a product, right? If something's like product led, because if you know that, then you know how your marketing can influence their decision-making process. And Without knowing how to influence that, it's going to be hard for you to win in the market. Especially if you're like competing, like with the ass now. You throw a rock, hit like 800 email solutions. Like, why you? And like, why are they coming to you? And how did they find you? And what was the process of that? And what are what's happening in their business that they need you specifically over all the other litany of options? So that's what I do with Conundrum. I try to help B two B marketing teams figure that stuff out.
0: Uh, This is going to be good. I'm excited for this conversation and just appreciate the background on content lift. Maybe we start here. I think so often in just my career as a B2B marketer, it has been customer. We all know that we need to gather information from our customers, um, but we rely on sales feedback. We rely on the product team. We rely on CS. So marketers are typically like, oh, other people are... Are doing this work, um, you know. I don't need to worry about it. I'm just going to go run these campaigns or go do this content and do do these things. But yeah. I think there's been this shift, right, where it's like the the closer marketers are to the customer, the better the marketing is that they create, and it can be a feedback loop for uh, you know the organization. I, I'm curious, just like from your perspective, like not everyone, not all marketing teams are doing this, but like when did this shift start to occur where marketing took some of this responsibility and maybe like what are some of the the uh, key indicators or drivers that result from, you know, marketing talking to customers regularly?
1: Yeah, I've been trying to really parse that myself. And I feel like there's different sort of thoughts on why. For me, this is just how I see it I think the internet was a big one because I used to be a B2B buyer That was funny. B2B B buyer Ugh. before the internet really uh, to how we know it today you know there was still email and and so on but I had to go to trade shows I had to rely on account executives for industry information I had to there there was a lot I was dependent upon on the outside world and I was in these traditional sales cycles that you you, you're used to seeing which is i get the call every 90 days from the Ken executive because i was on their list and sometimes it was a cold call sometimes it was an existing relationship and we'd talk about the business and that was it right the internet has like just totally changed everything now right where you can i as a buyer now can do so much on my own without needing the outside world to kind of um, and all these vendors to help inform my decision. I can do a lot. So by the time I get to a vendor, if I'm looking at something new, I might have already pretty much decided like where I want to go. Well, that wasn't the case 20 years ago. So that's one one thing. And I think now B2B, and we, I think we confuse SaaS almost with B2B a little bit. And what I mean by that is SaaS is almost in a way a product, like a very productized or the commoditized type of product now, because there's so many, you know, I think everyone is, marketers specifically, specifically are probably familiar with, I forget what the name of the organization does it, but they, they create every year, how many marketing tech tools there are year after year. And it's now in the tens of thousands. That's just marketing. There's so much more. So when you, before, when I was some type of product in a very niche vertical, I could probably go to trade media and I had, I didn't have to, you know, carve out a lot of attention. That's much different now. There's so much competition for people's budgets and how they're running their business and the tools they need that I probably, I, I'm starting to notice that I need to have branding and communications and messaging and buying journeys and all that stuff understood. Because if I don't get to them earlier on in the journey, what you see happening, I'm, I know this is a long answer, but I'm, I'm ending it now. What you see happening, and you can look, go look at Gartner or any type of major research firm, if I'm not in the consideration set early, my chances of winning are dramatically dropping by the time they get to me for a discovery call. That's just, that's it. So, like, marketing can't succeed if they don't understand what's happening, because by the time the sales team gets them, their odds of winning that deal are getting lower and lower.
0: So I think you're referencing Scott Brinker's like mega graphic that comes out every year. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like now company names and logos look like little dots. Because they do. Those...
1: It's almost like ridiculous.
0: <laughs> and so what I hear from you is that by marketing, talking to the customers like that, that's like, And pulling those insights away and and infusing them into what you do that based on that graphic where everyone's a dot, it allows you to uh, build in some differentiation. So you're not just a software company with a product, but like asking questions, talking to your customers can really help elevate your brand.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the, the world of B2B is just so dramatically different now. I mean, now, like, let's go back to the email example. There's like, there literally is like 50 to 60 types of email automation. And they've, they've niched down into like, here's a creator economy where the email uh, for this person, like it's, it is incredible how proliferated it is out there. So I think maybe the third part is you see now a lot of B2B marketers come about, it should be like B2C. Well, why are they saying that? They're saying that because of the level of competition that's increasing. And B2C is so good at brand and story and creating community because you have to be able to influence them and stay top of mind because they know how competitive it is. That's why I see what you see happening in B2B. So this is why understanding the journey is now becoming, I think, more important than ever.
0: So I want to dig into your background a little bit because uh, it's this theme that we talked about, I think a couple of weeks ago, but just like I'm seeing so many former journalists jump into B2B marketing and yeah. Excel. Maybe just like talk a little bit about your background and applying that journalist mindset into yeah. the work that you do.
1: Probably because there's not as many jobs anymore. <laughs> that's probably one thing to be real here. Uh, but yeah, my background, I actually, I had this, like most marketers, I have a weird background. We never really study marketing. We sort of fall into marketing. That's how most marketers in my experience, that's what happens. I was in marketing Marketing first. I worked for a chain of coffee shops up in Canada where I live. We were small compared to what you would see in the United States. You know, we, we only had about 110 units, which, and you know, that would be like you know one state in, in the country, of the US rates, right? but it was a good size for us. And I could not afford though, customer research because to do it, feel the research and really get into the minds of the customer. I, we didn't have the budget for that. So I did it myself. And I would go into the stores. I'd do what they call field work. And I would talk to customers. I'd watch them. I'd watch them move through the queue. And I would actually go into the lineups of my competitors and start talking to them, pretending I was a customer and just like ask them, like, what do you like about this place? Which is people thought I was out of my mind, but I just need to understand how people were thinking about making decisions. Then I left because I was like, I don't know if I want to be in business anymore. I had my, what they call now the quarter life crisis. So I went back to school to broadcasting and became a TV reporter. And that's where it cemented my ability to sort of walk people through, develop a thesis or a research um, hypothesis, because that's what a lot of reporters do. And then you're systematically just trying to collect data that validates or invalidates that hypothesis, right? I don't start with, I believe this and try to find things to confirm it. I collect all the evidence and weigh it and then does this does this hold true or not? And the way we do that is we collect actions that people took. That's what most reporters do. That's what a lot of lawyers, detectives do. They just try to they go through the chronology of events that occurred, right? Until we get to the end state. And then that is how I end. But there's a way to do that. There's a way to ask questions. There's a way to limit your bias. There's a way to reduce people's biases. So I took all that when I went back into marketing and it's just been my go to ever since. It's sort of like I call it my superpower, right? Where I since day, since I moved back into marketing, I always want to speak to people and try to understand how they're making decisions, the thought process and the actions they took. Cause if I know that from I can map out a V1 of a marketing strategy and then influence how they make decisions around what I do. So that's sort of my background. And then I've been I've been working with tech companies pretty much for the last 10 years doing that.
0: So I think uh, there is a lot of young, hungry, ambitious marketers that listen to this show. And there's this kind of something that I've been observing is there's this culture around like ship it, ship it, keep going, ship, ship, ship. And so like publish, keep, keep the content going, which I think is like, for me as a marketer, like I want to create work and I want to put it out there Mm -hmm. and I want to get a reaction, see what works and what doesn't. But I think oftentimes what gets lost is the kind of investigation, research, background gathering of information to make sure that the work that you're publishing is like of substance and it's going to hit the core audience. So for me, I can just speak that research. I was a a little bit of my er, earlier in my career, but the more I've evolved, I've realized just understanding the backgrounds of people, understanding the types of companies that are coming into our audience in in just doing the work has helped me level up. I'd Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to kind of break down a little bit, just like when we're talking about like customer investigations, like what is your process? Like, how do you think about it? How do you use your superpower to gather that information so that you have something that you can take action on or kind of share with your clients that they can take action on?
1: yeah I mean, I can I'll ground this in an example that it's on my website. um so people can go and read more after I'll call the content left. It's um I'm, I work a lot with a company called Rewind. They're up in Canada. They are a backup and restoration software for SaaS companies. They started as a Shopify backup, but like a lot of businesses now and have grown <laughs> off the back of Shopify and done really well, and they've moved into more platforms, and there's much more coming. They had an acquisition and they acquired a backup and restoration software for GitHub, which is the largest code repository on the planet. That's what most development teams use. So when you have an acquisition in a company, the logic is, or the hypothesis is, okay, I have a marketing sales engine, I'm going to drop it in because it fits with our product catalog. It's going to make us a lot of money. It did make money, just not as much as they forecasted. Well, why is that? And it started with the sales team, which is always a good barometer for marketers to to sort of gauge whether things are working. what I mean is the sales team was coming back and saying, so we're having these discovery calls and something just feels off. It's a, you know, that's a good sign that someone's coming to you that isn't qualified. Right. So, or, you know, like just the, you're bringing in people that will not don't fit for what you want in your ICP. So I spoke to the product marketing manager, and the COO at the time. And I sort of pitched, I think we should go talk to people. And they're like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Because SaaS companies, and you sort of touched on this already, Brett, they are really good at customer success, because they need to onboard people through a product. They're very good at product conversations, because they keep they have to build new feature sets to sort of entrench themselves and build moats in the market, or they don't really have a lot of conversations like, so how did you come to us and why? So... We did that and we needed to figure out why. So the process of doing that is you find out, you find, let's just say eight to 12 um, of your ideal client profile or ideal buyer. Everyone has different nomenclature on what this is, but someone that fits for you because you get good revenue from them and they close quickly, right? And there are people you want to target. Go out and you interview a cohort of those people. The rule of thumb between researchers is eight to 12. And what you're trying to do is understand the patterns of actions and behaviors this is not an opinion thing. This is not a case study conversation about business impacts. It's a little bit, but that's customer success. Like They're going to want to know in sales, like did it actually do the thing that we promised it would do? I care about what was going on in their business in their minds that gravitated towards us in the first place. Like What were they trying to do in the business? And what was all the options they were trying to solve the problem with? So then I talk to them and I look for the patterns and I I bucket them into these um, areas. I bucket it into what are the pains and priorities and anxieties and their role and in the business. How uh, what was the, a trigger that ca- that was causing the go and look, search for um, a product? This is I don't get too much, but there's a process or methodology called Jobs to be Done. Some marketers will know about it. If you talk to your product team, they'll probably know it very well and jobs be done is, is a discovery process for innovation as like, what are the things people, the jobs, people hire a product to do to solve. It works really well for marketing. You don't have to dive into the innovation and the product side, but you can figure out like what it is people are trying to do. Then I walk through how they research and then how they evaluate. Because like I said, by the time they get to me now, they've probably shortlisted two or three products. How do they evaluate the three? That's your, does your, there's your battle card and everything else you always want to build about like a competitor analysis, but everyone's just Googling and like listing off like check boxes of like, where we got this, but if you don't talk to them about how they actually think about evaluating these products in, in the context of their business, then you're actually not building anything that holds any weight. So I go oh. through all those four processes and then I look for the patterns and themes, and then I build out what that average buying story is.
0: So many nuggets there. Um, that's, <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a lot. That's an, I understand the process. And what would you recommend? But maybe in that example before, like, let's just say the company is like, you know, we're, we're having a lot of customers churn. We aren't quite sure like who are, maybe it's an early stage company. We aren't quite sure like who our ideal customer is at this point. Like based on like your process, what would you recommend to that company or, or early stage company to like figure out how to go about finding who their ideal buyer is through these customer investigations.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a few things you talked about there. So churn, churn could be a product problem. So first you have to figure out like what the problem is and there's different, there could be different issues and because I could have a whole 45 minute conversation with the, with a, a customer about why they churned. Right. Like that. It sounds you, we think that half an hour, or four to five minutes is a lot of time, but it's not. I mean, you ex- must experience that when you're doing the podcast. Like the time goes by very quick in those conversations, so you have to be very succinct, succinct in like what you want to understand. So you have to identify the problem first. Then, if you know the problem, then you figure out who can give the answers to that, trying to solve that problem. So if it's churn, well then you talk to like eight to twelve people that churned, right? But also, like what type of churn did they churn quickly? Did churn after six months? Those are two different conversations. You would like, you would think at first glance, well, no, they churn. But churning immediately with a SaaS product is different than churning after twelve months, right? Much different. Maybe their business is growing on tra- on a trajectory, and they need a different tool that you uh, with features that you do not have, right? Or if they churned quickly, maybe your onboarding system um, was bad, or Maybe they thought you were something that they could use, but you weren't. Well, why? Right. So there's all these things you have to understand what does you want to solve. I'm working with one company now, they're a pod- podcasting company, funny enough. And they want to understand, and they w- were speaking to clients that took a long time to close, but have high average contract value. And you hear the term ACV a lot because they want to understand what's why are they dragging their feet, right? They want to know that because if these are high contract values, they want to close them quickie, quickly, not like take six to eight months. They want to know how can we get them closed in three. So you have to understand what you want to talk about, right? Before you start identifying who it is you want to talk to. Um, but then again, this number is the same, eight to 12. And you'll find patterns, right? Because by the time, if you start talking to 15 or 20, you're just going to hear the same things over and over again. And then it's just diminishing returns of your time. But if you don't, if you do four, four or five, you might not have a big enough cohort to find statistical relevancy in those conversations.
0: That's really good. I want to maybe close out by uh, something you've touched on, and a bunch of what you've said is just like when people, when our, custo- our customers come to us, like doing the work and finding out like the reasons why they came to us. I think mm-hmm. one of the battles we have just as marketing people is we want to experiment. We want to try new things, but internally we have to justify the case and the mm-hmm. budget or in the time mm-hmm. uh, internally in order to do those things. What can like the pro- like processes, the investigation stuff that you're talking about, like how can that help support some of this gray area that exists between kind of like marketer who wants to execute yep. and
1: internal stakeholder who want to hold them accountable for their work? I'll give you I'll give you a real life example with the one as the case that I have. So, what we found when we at Rewind when we spoke to people, there's two tracks of of companies. There's ones who want to sort of self install and DIY, but the high value installs is what we call them. So like high average contract value, they had a different buying process, and although they would self install the product, there was sales led type motions they needed to get into. To navigate the product. And a lot of it was around compliance and liability because it's data backup. So we know that we know for a fact now, okay, that's going to be a thing. Well, what are the conversations they're having around those types of things with the sales team? We map that out too. And we also mapped out what are the things they're looking for on the way to that journey of seeking us out because you don't just wake up and buy a thing in B2B. That's just not how it works. There's a there is a culmination of things that happen that I'm trying to solve over time. And then it leads me to a product either in, in a quick timeline or over a long timeline. So I sell that because if I know Brett, like what those pieces, those topics or those things are trying to solve as they hit along, hit along the path. Now I know my campaigns and content ideas. And I also know if it's a sales led motion and it's not an install and I know how they're making decisions around these things and when My cold outreach maybe through LinkedIn gets a little more targeted and specific. I'm actually can talk about things they care about because I see the evidence that these people like them care about these things and they're interested in these things. So now we're going to be testing LinkedIn ads, conversational ads with all these things in the research they said they care about on the way to finding us. Now, so when I present, we present this CMO, he's like, this sounds awesome. Yeah, let's budget there that's how this all works because if we didn't do any of that we'd be googling and say i we think they care about this can we go test it but that does that's just the odds of wasting money there are much higher now i have a specific path to purchase and i can test within that and i can test is linkedin ads no okay it wasn't that maybe it's sponsorship of this podcast that really talk about this compliance issue okay oh that worked really well Right. Like this is maybe it's thought leadership and we need to get more out around this issue. Like I've narrowed the focus of how I'm testing. That's the key. You can't just test randomly. You have to understand how and why you want to test in the context of how they're making buying decisions. That's how the research helps. I've learned a ton
0: in this conversation. <laughs> I, hope
1: so. I, I I know the audience uh, definitely...
0: Will too. I'm thinking about just in hearing you talk, I'm thinking about things we're going through a little differently, which is which which is good. Um, Before I let you go, you go. Obviously, if people want to learn more, they can check out go to Content Lift, uh, find you. And I'd love for you to maybe share if anyone's listening, like what stage are companies at that you are a good fit to have a conversation for? Like, what is going on where you're like, I can help you out.
1: Well, when I did my own research, because I, I did that, I talked about 24 VPs and CMOs. I I usually am good with series A, series B companies, right? So they're trying to move to that next stage of the thing, of whatever that is. And a bit early stage as well, right? Sometimes they need to build out an early V1 of a marketing strategy. They might have a seed round, but they don't really necessarily know how to get into the market and how to like position the product, right? Once, I get, once you get past that, what you'll find in big companies like Shopify, who we talked about, or some of the larger companies, they have in-house customer research teams. Sometimes there are 100 people. Sometimes there are maybe five. But that's not who I work with. But I'm happy to work with these teams if they feel like their research process needs a bit of fine-tuning because that's also what I heard. So those are sort of the, the ways I tend to work with people. It's either I can help you do it because you don't have the in-house bandwidth, or I can just show you how I do it and see if it makes sense for you to incorporate that. So those are the types of companies I typically work with.
0: Awesome, Ryan. I learned a ton. We'll have to get you back on. Um, Yeah, happy to. Yeah, a lot to think about here. The punchline is asking the right questions is important in marketing, so we should all be doing it. Thanks so much, man. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. I really think customer investigations can fill in some of that gray area for us. And it's always good to tap into it. Thank you, Ryan, for being on the podcast and educating us and giving us that insight that you're working on on a day-to-day basis. Go follow him. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back next week with more Modern Day Marketer.